your brain just went, nope, I'm supposed to be up at the front. Cool. Well, we have been doing a song every... What? You were like, wait, but now it's time for the children's part, right? And then you're going to go to your class? Okay, we were going to do... We do a song for the last number of weeks, and I want to see if you guys remember it. So stand up. And remember, I'm going to show you the symbols for all of the different words. And then, Mr. Craig, when it's time, would you bring the song up for us? So the symbol is love, Lord or God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Okay, let's do that one more time. Love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Okay, let's do the song, Mr. Craig. Ready? Stand up. Ready? Here we go. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Ready? Here we go again. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Perfect! Thank you, Craig. You guys are doing great. We're going to keep doing that every week because I want everybody in the congregation to be able to sing it too. I'm thrilled that you know it all. Yes, ma'am. What? You were singing that song while you were walking to the store? Yay! That's so cool. Praise the Lord. Well, I want to ask you guys a question. There is a passage in the Bible, in the, in the Gospel of John, where Jesus is talking with his friends, and this is what he says. Let me, let me turn to it real quick so I can read it for you. Jesus said, don't be upset. You believe in God, and you can trust me. In my Father's house, there are lots and lots of rooms and I am going to go get the rooms ready for all of you guys so that we can all go and be with my Father in heaven. And I promise you, you'll know how to get there. You'll know the way. And you know what Thomas, one of his disciples, said? Jesus, how do we know how to get to be with your Father in heaven? And Jesus said these words, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And this is what I want you to know or learn from this. How many of you guys have ever, <clears throat> have ever gone on a treasure hunt? Have you ever tried to go on a treasure hunt? I bet you did at Easter time. Did you go looking for hidden eggs? You, did you go looking for hidden colored Easter eggs? That's kind of like a treasure hunt. But when you were looking for the Easter eggs, did you just kind of keep looking until you found one? Or did you have a map that told you where all of them were? 
So you just kept looking until you found them. But wouldn't it have been easier if the Easter Bunny or your mom or your dad or somebody had given you a piece of paper that said, there's a colored egg hidden over here underneath the bush. There's a colored egg hidden over here by the mailbox. There's a colored egg hidden over here by the steps of the house. Wouldn't that be easier if there was a map? Well, Jesus said, I can show you how to get to heaven. I can show you how to get to my father's house. I'll give you a map. And you know what the map is? The Bible. All of the words of Jesus are in this Bible. And Jesus said, I'm the way. You can't get to God except coming through me. And here's how you do it. You read this word, and it's like a treasure map. It'll show you how to get to be with God the Father. Isn't that cool? So this is like a map to tell us how to get to heaven. Yes, sir? Mr. P is a pirate. Mr. P is a pirate? Oh, your teacher. Okay, does he do treasure maps too? Oh, you could ask him when you see him at school. He has gold teeth. Maybe he found them in a treasure chest. I don't know. But anyway, I want you guys to remember, if you want to get to heaven, if you want to be with God, the way to do it is through Jesus and reading his words in the Bible, because this is the map on how to get to heaven. Let's pray. God, bless these kids. Help them, Lord, to understand what it means to love you with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Help them, Father, to learn how to read your word and to follow the map that you've left for us on how to be in right relationship with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, you guys can head on to your teachers. Thank you. Well, last week, we talked about the battle that took place between the Philistines and the Israelites and how the Israelites called for the Ark of the Covenant to come and then they lost the battle. And so this next passage that we're going to be looking at is second is first first Samuel chapter five. And it's chapter 5, verse 1, all the way through chapter 7, verse 2, which we're not going to take time this morning to read all of that. That would take us almost the whole time that I have for my sermon. But we are going to look at a little bit of it. So this battle has taken place. The Philistines totally decimate the, uh, the Israelites. And literally the, uh, the high priest dies, his two sons die, and his daughter-in-law dies in the process of giving birth. And the last words that she says were, the glory has departed from Israel because the, ca- the ark has been captured. The ark was the representation to the people of Israel of the very presence of God in their midst. So in their, in their, in their, iconography, in their way of worship, it's like they've lost access to God. They've lost the ability to go before God and bring their requests and their, their concerns and their worship. And then we read that the Philistines take this ark and they bring it from Ebenezer, which was the, the, the area where the battle took place, and they take it to one of the five major cities of the Philistine territory. The first one is called Ashdod. And at Ashdod, there is a temple to the Philistines' god known as Dagon. 
It's kind of like dragon without an R. So it's D-A-G-O-N. Dagon. Now, if you read any background stuff on this, you're going to read that the god of the Philistines, his name, Dagon, can either be corn or grain, or it can be fish. Traditionally, you will see, when you see pictures, if you look it up in an encyclopedia or if you look online, you will see Dagon portrayed like a merman with a human torso and arms and head and then a fish tail as it's, and there's actually some, some reliefs that they've taken from, from ancient temple ruins that show this very image of this, this warrior god wearing a big headdress like a crown, and then the arms are out like this, and then the tail goes behind. So that's one of the representations of Dagon. Um, I have never seen a representation of the corn Dagon. I couldn't tell you what that would look like. But I can tell you, if you look online and just type in Dagon, Philistine God, that's an image that you're going to see. And so have that image in your brain right now as we're going to this, okay? So the Philistines are done with their battle with the Israelites. They have captured the Ark of God, which is a great treasure. Because remember, the Ark of the Covenant was... uh, totally covered in gold. And there was those beautiful cherubim, the, 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 the statues, if you will, of the angels. And then there were the, the rods, the, the, the carrying poles that were made of wood, but then they were covered completely in gold. So this whole thing is completely made in gold. And it's, it's probably, if I remember correctly, it's probably, you know, that big. Had to be carried by like four or six guys. It's pretty heavy. So the Philistines carry it, and where do they put it? They put it in their temple to their god, Dagon. And they set it in there, and then go and eat food and do their stuff and get up in the morning. And when they get to the temple in the morning, what do they find? The Ark of the Covenant still sitting there in the temple, and the statue of their fish god, Dagon, laying on the floor with his face to the ground. Well, that's interesting. wonder how that happened. So they pick this big statue up and put him back in his right position, because, as one scholar said, he couldn't do it for himself, because he was just a piece of rock. But... Um, they then reseat their god in his throne area. So now you've got this statue of this, this fish guy wearing his crown in front of the Ark of the Covenant. And then they go back about their business. And then they go to bed. And then the next morning, the priests go into the temple. And what do they find? The Ark of the Covenant is still sitting there. And this time, not only is Dagon unseated from his throne, but he has been laid out on the floor with his head and his arms broken off. And the head and the arms are broken off, and they're literally, it's as if, and I can't describe it, just this is what's in my head, this isn't what the Bible says. Imagine, if you will, some great force went, No, and pushed it down, and it shattered, and the arms and the head broke off and skittered across the floor and landed at the threshold of the temple. And it says, if you read this, 
that that's why the priests of Dagon, to this day, whatever day it was that this book was written, to this day, the priests of Dagon, when they enter into the temple, never step on the threshold anymore, because it's holy. Because their God, his head and his arms were broken off, and were resting on the threshold. And we're not told exactly what they did after that. I'm sure they glued it back together again and... Or maybe they just commissioned another statue to be made. I don't know. But one of the things we do know is that the people of Ashdod went, we got to get this thing out of here. So they literally, it says, uh, verse 6, The hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod. He terrified them. He afflicted them with tumors. Now, we don't know what these tumors were. We just know that they were some kind of an eruption on their flesh. The, uh, imagine a boil. Some scholars said hemorrhoids. Some scholars said maybe it was affecting their reproductive organs because the whole focus of their god, Dagon, was a fertility god. And so there's all of this stuff. But whatever it was, it was a very painful thing. So these boils or hemorrhoids or whatever they were were causing great distress to the people of Ashdod. And they were terrified. And then it says... It also, it was also affecting their territory. Now, we don't see this in this verse, but as you read further on in this book, you're going to find out that their fields, which were full of grain, which if you think about the name Dagon being the god of grain and fertility, their fields were being decimated by rodents. Rats and mice some kind of rodent. We don't know exactly. It doesn't say specifically. Uh, but they literally are being overrun. Their fields are being destroyed by these rodents. Their bodies are being terribly harmed by these tumors, these eruptions. And these people are scared to death because their God apparently is impotent against the God of the Israelites because twice now he's been knocked off his seat and the second time they even broke his statue. So these Ashdodians, these Philistines who live in Ashdod said, we got to do something about this. So they said in verse 7, when the men of Ashdod saw how things were, they said, ho, 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 the ark of God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is hard against us and against Dagon, our God. Well, that's a really interesting thought there. The God of the Israelites starts hard against our God, so we've got to get rid of him so he won't hurt our God anymore. That doesn't make sense to me. We'll get there. So what do they do? So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines. Now I said, there were five major cities in the Philistine area. And all these lords come together and they say, what shall we do with the Ark of God of Israel? And the decision was made, well, let the Ark of God of Israel be brought to Gath. So Ashdod no longer has to deal with this. They sent it to Gath. So they brought the ark of the God of Israel to Gath. And after they had brought it around, 
The hand of the Lord was now against the city of Gath, causing a very great panic. He afflicted the men of the city, both old and young, with the tumors that were breaking out on them. And they then sent the ark of God to Ekron. But as soon as the ark of God came to Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out, Ah, they have brought around to us the ark of the God of Israel to kill us and our people. And they sent therefore and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, Send away the ark of the God of Israel. Let it return to its own place. See, there were five cities, but the last two went, Not us. No, uh, no, 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 no. No. I mean, imagine it's like the hot potato game. No, I don't want it. No, I don't want it. Get it out of here. I don't want this. And so they said, they sent, therefore, and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines. This is the end of verse five, chapter 5. Send away the ark of God to Israel and let it return to its own place that it may not kill us and our people. For there was a deathly panic throughout the whole city. The hand of God was very heavy there. The men who didn't die. Oh, there were people dying? Oh, yeah, they were. It doesn't say in ESV. But if some of your translations may say 7,000 people, or 70 people, excuse me, and some of your translations may say 50,000 people died, because it's not clear in the text exactly what happened, but people died. This wasn't just boils breaking out on people's bodies, and this wasn't just grain getting eaten by rodents. These people were scared to death because they were dying. The men who didn't die were struck with tumors, and the cry of the city went up to heaven. Hmm, which heaven? Because it obviously they weren't crying out to the right God because their God was impotent against the God of Israel. Now, let's move into the next part of the story. So what do they do? They decide to do this. They get their wise people together and they say, what are we supposed to do? What, how are we going to return this? And they say, well, this is what you do. You get a cart that's never been used because you want to honor their God. You don't want to give him used stuff. So get a brand new cart, the best you can offer. And then take two cows who have never, ever had a yoke on them before. So they don't know what it feels like to have a yoke on them. Get two cows and have you, oh, make sure these cows have nursing calves. And you bring those two cows and put them in front of the cart and you put the yoke on them. You put the Ark of the Covenant of God in the back of the cart and you make another box out of gold and you fill that box with golden tumors, five golden tumors representing the five cities of the Philistines and fill it the rest of the way with golden mice. And we're making an offering to the God of Israel saying we are sorry for having taken your stuff. And they put it all together, and then they take the calves, the nursing calves, and lock them in a barn. And then they swat the backs of the cows and get them moving. Now, where would a nursing cow naturally go? Back to their calf. That's in the mother's nature. But what do these cows do? They went straight out of the area of the Philistines and went to a place place called Beth Shemesh. And Beth Shemesh, if you read back in Leviticus, and I think it's Leviticus, um, or maybe it was Joshua, it was Joshua. If you read the book of Joshua, when they were conquering the land of Israel, 
and Joshua was then dispersing the land to all the different nations and saying, you get this and you get this and you get this. If you remember, the Levites didn't have an inheritance. God was their inheritance. But the Levites had to live someplace. And so what God did was he set up cities of refuge within various territories. And the people who lived in those cities of refuge were the Levites. So the various families of the Levites were given a city and the surrounding pasture land. And that was theirs to use. It was within the nation state of Dan or Judah or Simeon. But this was their city to live in and to grow their their crops and to support their families. So Beth Shemesh, if you go back and look in Joshua, is one of those cities that was given to the Levites as a place to live, as a part of their inheritance. So what's interesting is these cows who've never had a yoke on them before, who have calves that are wanting to be nursed, And these cows literally just walk a straight path to Beth Shemesh, the city where the Levites live. Now, what's significant about that? Who was allowed to touch the Ark of the Covenant and not die? The Levites. Any other member of the Israelite family that tried to touch the Ark of the Covenant would die. I can show you passages in the scripture where it actually happened. So these cows, who by nature would not have even left their cows, these cows by nature walk straight into a Levitical town where there are people who are able to take the, the Ark of the Covenant off of the cart without fear of dying. If you go back to chapter 6 and the plan that the Philistines are putting together when they gather their, their wise guys together to talk about how we're going to get rid of this Ark of the Covenant that's causing so much trouble for us and we're so afraid and we don't want to die like the Egyptians did. We want to get rid of this. They said, here's what you do. You get a cart that's never been used. You put the Ark in it. You put an offering to their God in it. You put two calves who are nursing In the yoke, they've never worn a yoke before. You lock the calves up and you get them moving. If they go straight out of the Philistine territory into the Israelite territory, you can know that it is the God of Israel that is directing that. Because that goes against their nature. But if they don't go against their nature and they just go back to their barn where their calves are, then you can know that this God that you're afraid of There's nothing to be afraid of because he doesn't have the power to even control cows. And God goes, oh, you want to see something? I can make cows go where I want them to go. And the cows make a beeline for Levitical town, Beth Shemesh. What does that say to to the Philistines? Oh, my word. We had the Ark of the Covenant of the God of Israel. And he can control cows. We better go back and pray to David. Huh? What? Well, then you get into the story and it says, chapter 7, verse 1, the men of, oh, not men, sorry, I I'm, I'm went too far. Where was it? Cows went straight. Oh, verse 13 of chapter 6. Now the people of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley. When they lifted up their eyes and they saw the ark, they rejoiced. Now, we're not told how long the Philistines had it, but they had it long enough to get sick and be afraid they're going to die and pass it on to another town and on to another town. So some time has passed. So the Beth, the Beth Shemeshites, <laughs> these Levites who live in this Levitical city, they see this happening. And so the cart comes to rest in the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh, stopping there. 
right next to a huge stone. And they split up the wood of the cart and they slaughtered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. Oh, look, Levites who know how to do that because that's their trade. They make an offering to the Lord of the cows and the cart. And the Levites looked down the ark of the, took down the ark of the Lord and the box that was beside it in which the golden figures were. And he set them on the great stone. And the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and sacrificed sacrifices on that day to the Lord. And when the five lords of the Philistines saw it, they returned that day to Ekron to worship Dagon. Now, skip along a little bit. Um, verse 19. And the Lord struck some of the men of Beth Shemesh because they looked upon the ark of the Lord. Now, this is not, oh, this is where it said 70 men died. This is the 70 men or the 50,000 men died. He said, Beth, they, they looked upon, but what does some of your Bibles say? Verse 19. Looked upon the ark? Huh? Now, what did, what did, the, what did the people of Beth Shemesh do to the ark? Did they look on, look in? Did they remove the cover? Let me tell you what scholars are thinking that this is saying. They're thinking that these Levites, who had the right to carry the Ark of the Covenant without dying, opened it up to look and make sure that the tablets were still there. Because remember the tablets that Moses carved with the Ten They were supposed to be in there. And there's supposed to be a jar with the manna. All that's supposed to be in there. We just want to make sure that the Philistines didn't take anything. So I flipped it up and look. And God went, excuse me? Oh, no, 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 no. And they died. Here it says 70 died. And some, some translations will say 50,000 died. But what, it, what was happening here? What was happening here was they overstepped their bounds. They knew what they were allowed to do and what they weren't allowed to do. Who was allowed to touch that ark? The high priest and his family, Aaron and his kids. The Levites carried the ark. The high priest and his kids were the ones, if you go back to the, all the rules of the tabernacle, the high priest and his kids were the ones that got to cover it with the holy coverings and put the rods in so that it could be carried by the Levites. I believe it was the Kohathites, I think, or Kohathites who carried it. But anyway, the bottom line is, these Levites overstepped their bounds. And they took God for granted. They took the rules of God for granted. And the end result was, they died. So, what happens? He struck the people with the great blood, and the men of Beth Shemesh said, Oh, who's able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? And to, to whom shall we go up and away? To whom shall he go up away from us? So they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kiriath Jerem, saying, "The Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come down and get it." So the men of Kiriath Jerem came and looked, took up the ark, and brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill, and they consecrated his son Eleazar to have charge of the ark of the Lord. From the day, from that day on, the ark was lodged at Kiriath Jerem. A long time passed. Scholars will say about a hundred years passed. It stayed there for about a hundred years until David, King David, brought it into Jerusalem. Some twenty years passed. And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Now, this 20 years it's talking about is that Samuel hasn't yet stepped in as the leader. So 
Eli has died. His sons have died. Eli was the judge. The Ark of the Covenant is taken. The glory of God has left. Everyone's upset. Everyone's sad. The Philistines get beat up by God. They're like, we can't deal with this anymore. They send it back. God ordains that it goes back right to a Levitical town, put it right into the care of the people who are supposed to take care of it. They even mess up, and so they send it to Beth, wherever it is, Kiriath Jerem, and it goes to the home of Eleazar, I mean, home of Abinadab, and the son Eleazar takes charge. And so now for the next hundred years, it's there, but for the next 20 years, um, this guy Eleazar is, is responsible for overseeing and, and any, any offerings that happen come to him there. So apparently, and again, we're not told this, but apparently Shiloh is no longer a place of worship anymore. Whatever was going on at Shiloh when Eli died, it ended. Maybe the Philistines went and ransacked that place. We don't know. We're not given that. But what happened was the, temp- the Ark of the Covenant comes back and at least worship can continue now. People now have a place to come and meet with God. Well, there's a couple of things as I was praying about this. This is kind of like an, a fun story, but God, what is it that you want people to hear this morning? And a couple, three things that God put on my heart as I was, as I was reading through this. Number one, you've had it in front of you all morning long. Exodus chapter 20, verses 2 and 3. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. God does not share his throne. We saw that with Dagon. At first he was nice. He just pushed him over. When they insisted, he was like, no, this ain't happening. And destruction took place. And then still, they didn't release him back to where he was supposed to be. So he started inflicting really bad stuff on the people of Philistines. To the point where they should have been smart enough and said, we need to get this out of here. Let's take it back to the Israelites. No, they're going to still hold on to it. Why? This is gold. This is valuable. So they bring it to another city, and then to another city, and then finally they wise up and go, no, we've got to get this out of here. But even when it gets to Beth Shemesh, the people there take it for granted that God can be someone that can be toyed with. And they die. And the end result is finally God has gotten the attention of the Israelites, and they're back somewhat to proper form of worship, proper form of respect of God. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. I am the only God. Do not mess with me. Follow my rules. Do what I say. Now, there is a passage that God brought me to in 1 Peter. It's 1 Peter chapter 3. And 1 Peter chapter 3, it's one that I use all the time, all the time. You could probably quote it without even looking at it. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, and do it with gentleness and respect. So that's a very, very, very familiar passage. 1 Peter chapter 15. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you and do it with gentleness and respect. But there's a first half to that verse that always gets skipped over. Look at it from the beginning. 
In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make an answer for the hope that is in you, or a defense for the, to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Always in your hearts, excuse me, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. See, we're told in Hebrews, he is the same yesterday and today and forever. The same God that said to the Philistines, don't play with me, don't mess with me, you will not like what happens if you play around. The same God who said to the Levites who knew better, don't play with me. I am God. I am not to be messed with. I will have first place. I will have your respect. Is the same God that Peter said to us, always, always, always regard Christ as holy as you are giving your answer to the world about what is the hope that lies within you. Never, ever, ever dishonor the name of Jesus. Never do anything to sully who God is, not just in your life, but to the world. And then the last passage that God brought to me was what I shared with the kids this morning. First John chapter 14, excuse me, Gospel of John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said when asked, how are we supposed to get to the Father? How do we know the way? He said, because he already told them, you know the way. And Jesus looked at him, and I think with a smile on his face, he looked at him and he said, Thomas, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. You can't get to the Father except through me. And see, that's the challenge. That's the challenge that I think God wants us to hear this morning. In our, I don't want to offend anybody way, in our, uh, I don't want to be perceived as a, as a, oh, how do I say this without causing harm? I don't want to be seen as somebody who is so far on one end of the political spectrum that I cannot be compassionate or loving. I need to also understand that when I'm giving an answer about what the gospel says, I can't water it down. There is no getting around the fact that, number one, you can't get to God the Father unless you go through Jesus. I know people, I have friends that I love dearly that will not submit to the blood of Christ on the cross. They won't. They find that abhorrent. They refuse to submit to that truth. Well, guess what, honey? You can't get to the Father except through Christ. I don't care if you don't like it. I don't care if it makes you sick to your stomach. I don't care if you care about animals. You cannot get to Father without going through Christ. And Christ has to be held in honor. His sacrifice wasn't lighthearted. His sacrifice was all-encompassing. It was what brought hope and salvation. It's what brought the reconciliation that was needed. 
And it was the plan of the Father from the very beginning. If you go back to the time in Genesis chapter 3, when the curse is being pronounced over Adam and Eve, what does it say? You're going to have great pain and travail in your birth, but the seed that comes from you will crush the head of the serpent. He'll bruise his heel, but he will crush the head of the serpent. Right there is the story of God's redemption being laid out at the very beginning and then all the way through until Christ actually dies on the cross and then is resurrected on the third day. And see, I know people who cannot believe in a resurrection. They think that's just stupid. They think it's just fairy tale. Of course Jesus was a good teacher. Of course his loving uh, teachings are wonderful. We should emulate them. And all you have to do is just love people to get into heaven. But the Bible clearly says, if there is no resurrection, there is no hope. So, if you have hope, then that means you have to believe in a cross. You have to believe in an empty grave. You have to believe that there is a Jesus who sits at the right hand of the Father, making intercession on your behalf, and who will come again to call you to be with the Father forever. These are truths that cannot be watered down. It doesn't matter if you agree with it or not. It doesn't matter if your friend doesn't like it or not. It doesn't matter if they don't like your words. That's not for them to decide. It's not for you to decide. When you're being asked to give an answer about the hope that you have within you, you have to keep Christ as holy. Jesus is the Son of God. There is no other way to get to to the Father except through Jesus. Jesus did die on the cross, and he was raised to life on the third day. He ascended to the Father. He sits on the right hand of the Father. And someday he will come again and he will vanquish all of his foes. Because it says in the Psalms, Sit at my right hand until all of your enemies are made a footstool for you. This is the hope that lies within us. You can't water it down. You can't make it more palatable. You speak it. Now, They don't have to like it. That's not... Look at what the Philistines did. They had convincing proof that theirs was just a rock. Their God was impotent. And they knew it. But they refused to turn to the one and only true God who had power. But that shouldn't and didn't water down the fact that God is God. Had the Philistines turned, they could have begun to worship the true God. But for whatever reason, they were hard-hearted, hard-headed, foolish, and they stayed in the darkness. So, the challenge for us this morning is this. Number one, you're all Christians. You wouldn't be here on a Sunday morning if you weren't. You have the hope in your heart that Christ is your Savior, that you have relationship with God because of that. You have the responsibility to present that truth and that hope to the world. The next part of it comes in this first half of 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. How do you keep Christ holy while you are sharing? While you are living your life before the world? How do you always, 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 always keep Christ holy, set apart as Lord? See, that's the, that's the, the last thing I wanted to share with you. I almost, I almost changed the, the, the devotional slide this morning uh, to this one. 
Jesus is Lord. That says a lot. If you say, Jesus is my Savior, that's powerful. If you say, Jesus is my hope, Jesus is my rock, Jesus is my anchor, Jesus is my peace, all of those are true. All of those are powerful. It's a beautiful name, a powerful name, a wonderful name, a glorious name. He's the way maker. He's the promise keeper. But when you change the, I mean, when you not change, but when you make the statement, Jesus is Lord, that speaks about your willingness to submit. Your willingness to lay aside everything that's yours and give it back to him. I wanted to, t- I wanted to tell the, the worship team if they're here. I, I think some of the worship team's back in the room with the kids. Honestly, this morning, I was so proud of us. We struggled last Thursday. We struggled this morning. But as we were offering to God the worship that we had, I truly felt like a little kid that had decorated a cake and it was lopsided, and the, 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 the frosting wasn't completely covering the cake, and when I tried to write, I love you, Dad, on the top with the frosting, it splurted out a little bit, and there was globs here and there, and I smeared it on the... But it was the best I had to offer. And I was doing it out of love. And that's, to me, what it means to call Jesus Lord. I may not have everything that's glorious, fabulous, and wonderful in this world, but what I have, I offer to you. I love you, Lord, with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, with all of my strength, and I give it to you. First of all, because you demand it. (laughs) You're not one to be messed with. But secondly, because I want to. Because I love you. Because you are indeed God. And you are worthy of the little that I have to offer. So as you leave today, think a lot this week about what does it mean in your life to say those words, Jesus is Lord. My Lord. Jesus is my Lord. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I praise you. I give you glory. Amen. She has reached the end, Daddy. She's like, I'm done. I've been here an hour and a half. (laughs) Let's pray. God, thank you so much for being present with us this morning. Thank you for speaking to us and through us. I ask God that you would go with us now and help us to carry your truth to the world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each one of you. Go in his peace.